Amen. Let's pray. Father, great are you, our God. You're great when things are going well and smooth in our lives and it feels like we're really thriving. And you're great when it feels like we're just surviving, when it feels like things are really especially challenging, maybe maybe hard and um, we're experiencing pain. Father, I pray especially for those who are feeling like that's where they are today. Would you be with them? Would you draw them especially close to you today? And then, Father, would you please give us each your spirit as we turn now to your word and seek to understand what you have before us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Current, everybody. I'm David. Glad you could join us. Today, we're continuing our series we're calling We're Still the Church, as we remind ourselves of God's mission for his church, a mission that hasn't gone away just because we're sheltered in place. In fact, if anything, this mission is just as, as important today as ever before. And so we've been going through the book of Acts and looking at the account of the early church and how God established his mission in them as we consider what that looks like for us today. And so we find ourselves now in Acts chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. If you don't, that's fine. The words will be on the screen so you can follow along that way. We've come to the famous story of Saul's conversion and calling. Now, real quickly, I have to say up top, Top, that Saul later becomes known as Paul. And so, you know, and he's, he's the, the Apostle Paul who ends up writing much of the, the New Testament. And so if I call him Paul today, even though he's referred to here in Acts 9 as Saul, same guy. But here's the famous story of Saul's conversion and calling. And it's a really important one for us to understand this story. How do I know that? Well, Luke spends quite a bit of textual real estate describing these events and sharing this story. Think of it this way. I mean, he only had a limited amount of space to give us the events of the, the starting of the early church. And here we have a full chapter dedicated to Saul's story here. Uh, it's important for us to understand, it seems to me, for at least two reasons. One, Luke undoubtedly was giving us the background of the guy who would end up writing much of the New Testament. It'd be good to understand his background, so here's part of his story. But I think more spiritually speaking, it's important for us to understand this text because in Saul's story, we see our own. And our story is similar to his. Now, that doesn't mean we are to read into this that just because Saul has a dramatic you know, showing of events in terms of how this all plays out, that therefore our story needs to have dramatic events towards how we come to know Jesus and start to follow him. That's not what we're saying. But what we are seeing here is a case study for what our before and after story can look like today. And that's important no matter where we are on our spiritual story. If you're here logged in today and you don't identify as Christian, it's important for you to understand what this means and what this looks like. And then if you are logged on here today and you do identify as Christian, you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, it's important for you as well. In this story, I want to focus on two things. We see a forgiven past and a purpose-filled future. So first, let's consider a forgiven past past. We see this in verses 1 through 5. Acts 9 begins with the words, meanwhile, Saul. Okay, meanwhile, during what? Let's set the stage. Uh, we're picking up from the events of last week, which were Acts 8 and the, the uh, uh, 
Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch, but also more broadly speaking, it was the time in which persecution had broken out against the early church. I mean, at this point where we pick up here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the church is, is facing full-blown persecution. They are, Christians are being hunted down, literally tracked down, arrested, even killed. So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is to the Christian faith, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So we're told here that Saul was still at it. Still at what? Still at persecuting the church. In fact, we were actually introduced to Saul earlier in Acts in chapter 7. This was uh, one story that we haven't, we didn't touch upon just because of time. We can't hit everything. But it's the story of one of the early church leaders, Stephen. Stephen was just an incredibly kind, loving, selfless guy who was ultimately arrested on some trumped up accusations, but mainly he was just arrested for being Christian, for proclaiming Jesus. Stephen was brought before the religious council, gave a defense, shared the gospel with that uh, religious council, namely God's love for them through Jesus Christ. And yet here was the religious council's response in verse 54. It says, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Verse 58, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And then it says this, as they were stoning Stephen, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man, Saul. The same Saul that we see here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, who's still breathing out murderous threats literally tracking down people to arrest them and even have them killed. Which is to say, Saul didn't just have any background. He had a terrible background. He was a ringleader, a central figure in the persecution of the church. Now, what does this mean for us as we think about this today? Well, low-hanging fruit, this has to mean Jesus loves you no matter your past. This story has to mean Jesus loves you no matter your past because this is the beginning of the story where Jesus meets Saul on the Damascus road. Jesus meets Saul and loves him, extends forgiveness to him. And we're told with great detail the description of this man, Saul, and it's a description of a bad dude. Not only was this guy out there with the state backing, essentially the religious authorities backing to have people killed, but he was doing it no doubtedly with the the feeling that I'm doing this for God. And yet this is the person, this is the story of the person we see Jesus extending his love to here. Jesus loves you and me no matter our background. Now this is not to say that God condones our sin and he's okay with bad things happening like these. No, that's not what the Bible says about that. But what we see here in this text is that God loves you. The point here is Jesus loves you no matter your past and wants to extend forgiveness and love. As a pastor, I've been asked many times throughout the years, I don't, how could God forgive me? I've heard the statement any number of times from individuals, I hear that you say this about God forgiving people, but I'm not sure. I don't think he can forgive me in that way. In fact, I had one individual, I remember even saying, I, I could see how God could forgive others, but I can't see how he 
could forgive me. And I can assure you, as I share the story, this was not somebody who I would have thought was the kind of person to breathe out murderous threats and act upon those things. And yet I hear this all the time. God loves you no matter your past. Is your past as bad as Saul's? God loves you no matter your past. And what's incredible here is what we see. What what we don't see is Saul having a moment before Jesus arrives on the scene saying, you know what? I realize I've been a bad dude. I need to turn my life around. He turns his life around and then Jesus shows up to him. We don't see that. We see Jesus meeting him right here in this point of his story, which leads us to the second thought. And that is Jesus pursues you even when you're not pursuing him. Look at verse three. As he, Saul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Uh, This is an incredible, incredible detail here. Saul was in no way trying to seek Jesus. If anything, he was going in the complete opposite direction, spiritually speaking, for where you would think Jesus would want him to be heading. And let me just ask you, if this guy was out killing people of God, innocent people in this early Christian faith, how do you think God would respond to this kind of person? What do you think God would say, based on your understanding of God, what do you think God would say to an individual like this? You know, the way I like to think of it is God, Jesus does show up here with a great light. And actually later, Paul describes this as a light so bright, it was brighter than the midday sun. That's why it ends up blinding him here. And I would like to think that if Saul was this kind of character, that God would have showed up, yes, with a light, but, the, but a light in the form of a lightning bolt to smite this dude. But that's not what we see here. We see here Jesus loving this guy, pursuing him, even when he himself was not pursuing God. To be sure, this is the gospel. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for all of us, not just for Saul. Saul, later Paul, would go on to write to the early church in the book of Romans, for while while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And then in Romans 3, he said, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The point being, we don't have to have the past of Saul's here to have been breathing out murderous threats and going after innocents in such a dramatic fashion and terrible way to still be enemies of God. In fact, what we understand here is sin a little bit more clearly. I think it could be easy for modern American minds to think of sin primarily as things that we do or say that bring harm to others or ourselves. But that's not what sin primarily is. In fact, Jesus, even here with Saul, goes on to say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice that Jesus doesn't here say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people, the ones that you're going out there arresting and killing? Why are you persecuting me? Sin at the end of the day is not so much the harm we bring to others or ourselves. Sin at the end of the day is ultimately the, the denying and rejecting the one who loves us enough to have created us to be in loving relationship with him. Sin is saying, you know what, God, I don't want you. I don't want your ways. I want to do what I want to do. And even when we're like Saul, going in 180 degrees the wrong, wrong direction, Jesus pursues us, even when we're not pursuing him. C.S. Lewis, atheist turned Christian writer, 
theologian, uh, described God as the great hound of heaven. He said, God is the great hound of heaven in my life. And really, that's how he operates in, in all our cases. He's the great hound of heaven. He pursues us. See, as was talked about how, you know, for him, there was just event after event, life circumstance after life circumstance that just amounted to, man, I just kept thinking it was a coincidence, 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 till finally I was like, no, okay. I think it's pretty clear God's coming after me. Or relationship after relationship, relationship pointing C.S. Lewis to God, but him just saying, no, no, no. Or just internal feeling after internal feeling of just like all of it adding up to be like, oh my goodness, God is chasing after me. He is the great hound of heaven. God pursues us even when we are not pursuing him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus said. Verse five, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he said. Uh, we see here that Jesus won't compel you to follow him, but enable you to make a free response. I mean, this is an amazing thought that really struck me this week, that Saul had the wherewithal to respond here. I mean, isn't that interesting with all the crazy events that are going on, the light so bright that knocks him to the ground and, and hearing audibly, from the risen Jesus. I mean, all this happening and yet Paul still, Saul still had the wherewithal to respond with his question, who are you, Lord? What we have to, what, what, what we see here must be at least that Jesus loves us so much that he wasn't trying to compel Saul to follow him or so overwhelm or crush Saul that he would follow him, but just, enable him to make a free response of his own will. And that continues to be the case today. A question that's often asked is, why doesn't God just make everybody love him? Why doesn't he just force, why does he just make everybody love him? But the answer to that question, at least in part, is that if he did do that, it wouldn't be love. Forced love is not love. If God forced you to, to choose him, that's no choice. God won't compel you. One of my favorite verses, promises in the Bible, is Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever enters the door and lets me in, I will enter and I will eat with them and they with me. I love that verse for any number of reasons. Because, well, at least in part, it's saying I'm standing there just tap, tap, tap. Not I'm standing at the door with a sledgehammer that I'm just going to, you know, bust your door down with. Or I'm standing out there with a megaphone just real loud and just going to. He just stands out there respectfully, gently relentlessly, lovingly tapping. Would you, would you have me? Would you open the door to your heart to me? I will enter and I will commune with you and you with me, be in restored relationship. And friend, if that's you today, you've never received Jesus and the promise of forgiveness and life in him through what he did on the cross, his death, and then his resurrection from the dead, you can receive him a restored relationship, a forever relationship with him starting now, a free gift of love, of grace and mercy. No matter your past, no matter the direction you've been heading in or you are currently heading in, Jesus gently makes himself available to you and says, will you have me? And you can have him today. So that's what we see first is a forgiven past. Secondly, we see here is a purpose-filled future. Let's look at verses 6 through 12. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do, Jesus said. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. We see a purpose-filled future. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we, we are given at least three things. First, we're given a new relationship with God. What's Saul doing here? Three days have elapsed since he was blinded on the roadside, led into Damascus, and he was praying, we're told. Now, what was he praying for? Of course, we can only guess, but undoubtedly he was praying for forgiveness. I mean, his whole thought process and understanding of God had just been flipped on its head, and he undoubtedly was being struck with, with the feeling of what he had been doing, the actions he had been a part of and condoning, he had to have been asking for forgiveness in prayer. He, he also had to have been praying for wisdom in terms of understanding what God might have for him next and, and probably also praying for strength to do whatever God might have for him next. And then, of course, I can't help but think that he was praying worship and praise, thanking God for his love and, and his mercy and grace. Later on, Paul would write back fondly about these times in his letters to the church, describing it as a time when he was encountering the beauty and love of Christ, that he was fully known and yet fully loved. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are given a new relationship with him based on forgiveness and the love that God extends, not on anything that we bring to the table. We're given a new relationship with God, but we're also given a new relationship with the church. Uh, what's really interesting about this story is that God spoke to Ananias, this disciple, and sent him to restore Saul. Isn't this an interesting thought? Jesus could have reappeared his own self to Saul. I mean, he just shown up to him on the road to Damascus. Why didn't he just show back up to Saul a, sec a second time and say, okay, now, now get up and going? No, Jesus very deliberately spoke to Ananias and used Ananias to go restore Saul. Why? He had to have been doing it, at least in part, to bring Saul into the loving community, that is, the church, a church established on grace and mercy, love and and forgiveness. I mean, just check out this account. I mean, this just blows me away. In verse 17, it says, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. I mean, these words are so moving. Ananias went, placed his hands on Saul. I mean, just think about that. Saul was blind. He probably was trying to help Saul just really understand that, hey, I'm tangibly letting you know that I love you even as I speak this word. And he said, Brother Saul. I mean, we were told that Ananias knew that Saul was there originally to kill Christians like him. And yet Ananias, even after saying, God, I'm not sure I want to do this if it's that Saul, went and what did he do? He placed his hands on him to say, I love you, and called him brother. And imagine how that must have felt for Saul as he felt the hands of Ananias, a disciple of Jesus, placing his hands on him and calling him brother. 
as he sat there blind, hearing that this man was here to talk to him of a Christian whom he had originally been coming to kill. This is a beautiful picture, current family, of what we're called to do for one another. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. All right, baptism is really important. We see this over and over again throughout the account of Acts and the early church. Whenever somebody put their faith in Jesus, whether it was the Ethiopian eunuch last week in chapter 8 or today, Saul, here with Ananias, they were immediately baptized. Baptism is a public declaration of us saying we belong to God and God belongs to us, which is an incredible thought. But it's also a public declaration of us saying, and we belong to God's people. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one of the beautiful things that's happening when we're baptized. In fact, we've had the privilege of celebrating a number of baptisms over the recent weeks here at Current. And I wonder if some of the baptizees didn't realize that this component was happening while they were being baptized. They'll, they'll learn about it when they you know, are sitting in, a, in, in, in others' place, but as they were baptized, the church family was there, at least virtually, while we're sheltered in place, just thrilled for them, thinking of, of you as sister and brother. Welcome to the family as we get to extend one another love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Um, baptism is incredibly important. If you've put your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized, that's your next step to be baptized without delay. And we can set that up for you. We've been able to do this even during shelter in place with social distancing and all that in mind. Let us know. We'd love to come alongside you in that. But the point here is Saul was brought into the family of God. He was given a new relationship with God. He was given a new relationship with the church, one based on grace, love, and mercy that we ought to extend to one another, that Saul received from Ananias, and later Ananias himself would receive from Saul, later Paul. Last thought here, we, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're given a new mission and purpose. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now that last thought, at least on the surface, might seem like a bit of a bummer, but actually Saul or Paul would later write of his suffering with great fondness and with great joy say, I am, I am considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. But here we see he is given a mission and purpose, not just to share the gospel with the people of Israel, but with Gentiles, that is with non-Jews, which is incredible if you know human history and church history. To put it this way, if you identify, if you follow Jesus today and you don't have any Jewish descent background in you, then that can be traced back to the Holy Spirit working through Saul. Now, we might not have as dramatic of a calling as Saul received here to take the, the, the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles, and yet we actually kind of also do. And in some ways, it's equally as amazing because as followers of Jesus, what is our mission? Going back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said it's to 
be my disciples, to let people know about Jesus, to help them come to know Jesus and to grow in him. That's our disciple. Uh, that's, that's our mission. And that mission is all about eternity. So many of you here in the Silicon Valley have just awesome opportunities here in the world to, have, to make incredible difference, to impact literally the world. Your influence at your company and the products that you have your hands to have reached even to the far ends of the earth. It's incredible to consider what some of you guys are working on. And yet, as followers of Jesus, our mission can't compare because our mission is not about the here and now, the temporary, as amazing as any that could be, but it's about eternity. Recently, a gal here at Current put her faith in Jesus. And she is just someone who's just super accomplished uh, in the corporate world. She shared that she declined a promotion uh, she was offered because she realized that her work was becoming all-consuming and overshadowing her capacity to do any ministry, which felt so much more meaningful to her. Now, this is not to say that our work in the corporate sense is divorced from or mutually exclusive from God's calling, mission, and purpose in our lives. In fact, I would say it's actually where much of our calling inter intersects and where we need to spend a lot of our time and effort and energy to see this as our calling. But the perspective here is we are given a new mission and purpose to tell people about Jesus, to help people grow in him. And that's about eternity. That's what we see in this before and after story of Saul. If you're here today, and you don't identify as Christian, you can receive Jesus today. The free offer of grace and mercy, of forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross for dying for your sins and mine, that if you receive by faith, he will give eternal life in him, a restored relationship with God. You can receive that even now by saying, but in prayer, God, I receive you and what you've done for me. I surrender my life to you. And if that's you, we'd love for you to let us know so we can come alongside you. If you've put your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized, let us know so we can come alongside you in that. And to all those who have received him, how can you partner with God and his Holy Spirit in his work this week? I mean, this could take any number of forms, but is there, say, someone the Holy Spirit might be putting on your heart? to reach out to, to love and serve and care for, perhaps engage in spiritual or a gospel conversation? Is there someone in the church family you can love and serve or encourage and spur towards love and good deeds? Maybe there's somebody you felt has wronged you. You know, thinking of Ananias towards Saul, somebody who's wronged you or has had a hard past or you've had a rough past with. Look, we're all like Saul in the sense that we need grace our own selves. And we're all like Ananias in the sense of it can be slow for us to offer that grace to others. But the grace of God through Jesus Christ is he frees us to live into our new relationship with him, his church, and unto his mission and purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for pursuing us, even when we weren't pursuing you, for loving us no matter our past and for bringing us into a relationship if we receive you by faith. For everybody who's listening today who has never received you today, I pray that you would, you would help them sense your presence now and that they would even put their faith in you right now. That you'd help us as a church come alongside them and encourage them and strengthen them in their new faith. 
that they might even become like a Saul turned Paul, having an incredible impact for your kingdom throughout generations. And Father, would you help us as a church really lean into the relationship you've given us with you, the relationship you've given us with other, others in the church and, and this new purpose and mission you've called us to. We need your help in all this. Would you go, go before us in this all? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's continue this time of worship now through song.